Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Welcome back. It is Thursday afternoon, and I am back to talk to you about one of my favorite movies of the entire year with a very special guest. It's Black Klansman. This is going to be crazy. I'll see you guys in just one second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's action movie anatomy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. You know what's coming. Yeah, I should I should have known. I should have expected it. It's explosions, man. It's a big deal. Uh, we're here. It's exciting. It's it's Thursday afternoon. I got a first time guest on the show, Mr. Jay Washington man, in the house. I'm happy to be here, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me on here. I should have known it was gonna be just like when I see you guys in the showdown with the boom and explosion <laughs> and the still DRE music. But you know yeah. what? Can't complain. I'm happy to be here, bro. The DRE thing, actually, it came from this show. So I, I, I believe it. I 100% believe it. We were covering Training Day. And, okay, makes sense. And there's a scene in Training Day when, you know, Ethan Hawke is like, this car's not from the company Motorpool. And he's like, and then Joe's like, yeah, but it's sexy, ain't it? Yeah, it's sexy, and he's, yeah. <laughs> and car, he's like, I thought we were going to the office. And he's like, you in the office, baby. Going you know, up. And the yep. hydraulics come on and then the song starts. <laughs> yep. And we were like, that's the best thing ever. So you we just need office, to use baby. it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's where it came from. But oh, well, uh, it's, a good, it's a good reason to have it. It yeah. is a very good reason to have it. It's like, the, we think it's like the coolest song ever. So we just wanted to use it for the show. It works. Yeah, yeah. It works. I mean, it's not a... You know, you have songs that when, when you tie them into what they're doing, yeah. they actually blend together and blend well. It's not like a song that sounds forced. Right. And you're like, oh, why this one? You should have used another one. Yeah, I got Marissa Serafini up in the booth. Marissa, how you doing? I'm great, gentlemen. How are you? I'm well. Uh, Do you remember what song we used to open to? I can't remember anymore. I don't remember. That was so long ago. Yeah. <laughs> We did like 100 shows, and I can't remember. Um, so, Jay Washington, the people know you from all around, from everywhere around town. Uh, you're this is you're on my show for the first time. I'm happy to is... be on your show. You know, I've been on so many different ones. I've always wanted to do this because I've been an action movie fan since I was a shorty. Yeah. I used to not go outside as a kid. Uh, I know, right? I used to not go outside. So a lot of Saturdays, I would just sit up watching action movies that were on yeah. television, on regular television and on cable. So I've always loved them. I even watched other films as well. But, like, I would always watch, here's, this is going to be something I'm admitting. One of my guilty pleasure movies is Broken Arrow. Oh, it's a great movie. It's one of my guilty pleasure movies. Howie Long, oh, Christian Slater, amazing. John Travolta. So I love watching that. Uh, I love every time War Games comes on. Yeah. So yeah. some of those movies I grew up with, and I started following them more and more and more. So to be on Action Movie Anatomy is so dope. Yeah, thanks for coming, man. This I is wish exciting. I'd have known. I should have worn a suit. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> should have worn a suit. Oh. And you were warned. You've only spent, I don't know, like, you know, 100 days in offices with me, and I've only ever had a suit on. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you own any other clothes. I do, I do. I've been I'm actually making like an effort to post recently on Instagram more in like regular clothing. Oh, I did a one with a leather jacket. I did some gym clothes. A hat. Wait, you own gym clothes? I swear to God, yeah. I always thought you worked out in a suit. <laughs> you wanted to feel the burn in a specific suit. That's all I believe. But uh, but anyway, guys, this is Action Movie Anatomy. Those of you that have watched before know we cover action movies on this show here on the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies, all things movie-related, and pop culture by the bucketful. The action movies we cover on the show to hear four basic rules. Rule number one, the hero always plays by their own rules. Uh, does Star Wars play by his own rules? I think so. I think he makes his own rules, totally. Okay, yes, he does. He de Well, he made the rules in the movie, yeah. And often we'll talk about there's a duo hero thing. So yeah. it's like him and Adam Driver kind of. Him and Adam Driver, yeah, they're, definitely. They're like a pair. And so the two of them do kind of play by their own rules. They're like smarter than everyone else. Because they like, had to go outside the regular channels. Yeah, right. Even though, you know, the chief was like, hey, do you think we can keep pulling this off? And they believed in what they were doing. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. 
Rule number two, the hero and the villain are always the smartest people, beings, things, dinosaurs, aliens in the room, whatever you have. I mean, Stallworth and Driver, they don't have your, like, John McClane, I know better than everyone as much. But they do know the mission's going to work, and everyone else doesn't. So that makes them smarter. And it worked the way they kept pulling off, especially with the voice. Right, right. That was the biggest thing. And then Topher Grace... As David Duke. I guess he's the smartest guy in the room on the other side, except he does get fooled, so... I mean, he does, but as does every other member of the clan. Yeah, right. Because that's what makes the story so intriguing. And the heroes win, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. Uh, Rule number three, the movie is driven by a police, military, political, or mercenary figure. When we say political, it means you could either be the man or work for the man. So, if you were Denzel in The Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3, it works. But, in this case... He just is a cop, so he's a cop. Totally works. Yeah, and it also has the political element with his girlfriend he meets. Yeah, who she's all about taking down the police because how the brutality is in Colorado Springs. Yeah, so it has both of those elements. And uh, rule number four: the movie contains a minimum of one explosion. There's at least one explosion in this movie, right in there. Or did the bomb? What happens? They. I don't. I don't. don't, Did the bomb go off? No. Is there no explosion in this movie? I I don't remember an explosion. I mean, a lot of gunfights. Hmm. Yeah. No, the bomb did go that's off. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, the, yeah, bomb, yeah, yeah, yeah. the bomb she put under the car did go off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, that, that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, that's just, the one, yeah. Tripped up for a second. Uh, so I think this movie does hit the rules. Coming up today on the show, guys, we are going to be talking about all your favorite things. Thesis statement, fist pump moment. We're going to be doing our top three movies of 2018 each. This is obviously an Oscar contender. Uh, talking about our favorite comeback movies. A lot of people are talking about this is Spike Lee's comeback. Uh, and so on and so forth. Quick shout out to the Action Army Patreon. Big shout out to Ben Brusella and Brandon S. Russell. We salute you. I want to thank Ben Bateman for giving me a pen that doesn't work. Uh, I'll trade you. I don't need a pen. I just marked lines. Andrew draws stars and things the whole time. You're okay. Like, I'm drawing stars. But uh, anyway, uh, he's watching. I just made fun of him. Um, What's so- up, Drew? <laughs> he's in Tokyo. He might be watching. I'm not sure. It's like 7 in the morning for him over there. Uh, and finally, a big shout out to our general Christian Hestus uh, for nominating this movie. That's one of the, the perks if you go to patreon.com slash team action. At the general level, you can actually suggest movies for us to cover. Christian has a statement that he uh, wrote about this movie that we're going to share a little later in the show to honor his opinion of the film. So, okay, cool. Yeah. All right, guys. Without further ado, I suggest we get in to the next bit of the show, and that's going to be the trailer to Black Klansman. There's never been a black cop in this city. We think you might be the man to open things up around here. Isaiah Washington. (laughs) Anytime you have a Spike Lee film, you know there are certain characters that are always going to be in there. Hello, this is Ron Stallworth calling. Who am I speaking with? This is David Duke. (laughs) Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. That David Duke? Topher Grace. God, last time I checked. Pretty frightening. What can I do for him? I was kind of like, wait, Topher Grace? Is playing Duke. Mexicans and Irish. Italians and Chinese. But my mouth to God's ears, I really hate those black rats. Can you believe it took this movie this long to get made? It's a true story. I don't think, no, I I can believe it did because of what it talks about. Because it's one of those touchy subjects, per se. Yeah. Like, you want to talk, like, let's be honest, people wanted to deny that the clan still exists. And granted, they're in smaller cells. But to have a film that amplifies the fact that somebody, a black man, successfully infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan. And when you say it in theory, that sounds like. Like, uh, comedy. That sounds like satire. Like, that didn't really happen. We yeah. were like, no, it really did happen. 
So that's why it probably took so long, but it also needed the right director. I think that's the biggest thing, too. We needed the right director to bring this out and bring this to life. Somebody who can understand all the elements and all the points this needs to hit and make sure it doesn't make a mockery of it. Like they had to make bad movies for 10 years so they could make this. Hey man, look, I'm, I'm gonna have to disagree with you on that one because there's a movie he did uh, three years ago. You like Chirac? I'm in Chirac. I, I know you're in Chirac. I did the junket for it. I remember I watched it closely, but I'm in Chirac. Do you enjoy the movie? Be honest. I'm in Chirac. <laughs> I'm telling you, wars are coming. That guy. That he was more so the villain more than Topher Grace. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's one of the smartest things that Spike did with this movie. He showed you all the different faces of the villainy. Because Topher is... The one guy with the the glasses, he's like almost likable compared to the other guy. Compared to him, but then you realize what he does. And you're, you know, both of them, you're like, oh, he's the reasonable one. And then, you know, Topher Grace, obviously, like, oh, he's pretty, he's actually a pretty likable guy. But like, all of them are just evil. And so he really found that, that scale where you can be like... Oh well, this one's not so bad because this, this one's, one's so bad. This one's bad, but he's b- a bumbling idiot. Yeah, exactly, you know, different exactly. things. Like, yeah, yeah, all the faces of evil. So I think that I thought that was a pretty interesting approach. Um, all right, guys, we're going to do our first segment on the show. This is thesis statement. If you've watched, you've listened before, you know this is your biggest boldest thought. It should be almost rooted in hyperbole. The first this, the only this, the last this. This is the reason this happens, kind of a thing. Not you know, this is my favorite movie that a son of an actor has been in in 2019. It's just, <laughs> never be loose, you know. That's conversation. This is right. this is hyperbole. You want to talk about this movie at a party? This is what you say. Uh, this is the best movie Spike Lee has ever made. That's my thesis statement right there. Boom. Oh, see, being a Spike fan since I was a kid, and I take, I even take out Chirac. I even take that out. Having watched Do the Right Thing, having Malcolm watched X. Malcolm X, She's Got to Have It, yep. um, School Days, it's hard because all the films, he is almost a period piece artist. Yeah. Every time he does a film, I don't know if you can say it's it, it's one of the best. I don't know if I can say it is the best. Uh, here's my reasoning for it for my thesis. Okay, that's why I think this. So. Uh, I grew up watching Spike as well. I'm a little younger than you, I think. Mm-hmm. But so those early, early ones, the late 80s ones, yeah. I was just like, I was one, two, three years yeah. old when some of those were coming out. I think School Days, I don't think I was even born yet. But but like Do the Right Thing, I'm pretty sure it's like 88, mm-hmm. you know, like Clockers, like that shit's in yeah. the 90s. So he got game. I saw in theaters with my dad. Um, a lot of those movies I've seen. And so as I've thought about each of the movies, I think the earlier part of his career he was a like a very passionate director that wanted to he wanted to say important things mm-hmm. and he was going to do it in a way that like caught you off guard you know that's, that's so do fun, the right yeah. yeah do the right thing has that one scene it's all the racial slurs like he's just oh yeah you know like he, that's that was that was his mo now he grew into making different kinds of movies mm-hmm. but Malcolm X like that movie was a biopic he gets yes. to have one of the most important figures in the history of our country l- played by arguably the best one, actor of our generation in our generation yes so it's kind of a different beat. This mm-hmm. is like the, the reason I think this is his best movie is all the things that make Spike great, his approach, his opinions, his intelligence, but he found a way to make it palatable for all audiences. Yes, I agree. So I agree. So for instance, if I'm if I'm watching a lot of Spike's movies from the 90s, mm-hmm. the way that he deals with racism, it's interesting if you are a black person. It's interesting if you're a white person. But as a white audience member, I think you're less compelled to see those movies at that time. This movie is 100% made for everyone, and it's just as interesting to everybody who watches it. The thing about that, when you say to to watch it this time, I think it's because of the time we're in. 
I agree. You know, we're at a time where people are trying to be more racially harmonized, if you will. Everybody's trying to be more together. Whereas, yeah, you had those films in the 90s where it was a touchy subject, like, yo, don't put this in my face. And Spike was like, no, this is what it is. Right, it's aggressive. You need yeah. to see this. Because the same theme pretty much applies to Black Klansmen. It's aggressive. It's in your face. This is what it is. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But you, you now are able to digest it better. Maybe that's what it is. I feel that the humor in this movie is so beautifully done that that's what makes it work so oh, the well. The humor in this movie is is phenomenal because it's it's not sh- it's not beat over the head. No, it comes at you and you're like, wait, what? And you laugh because you didn't realize you were supposed to be laughing at this moment. Even things you're not supposed to be laughing at, you laugh at. Yeah, where you there are moments you're supposed to be shocked. Like for me, I'm one of those individuals. I look at the whole scope of the film. The scene in which they watch Birth of a Nation. The beginning with Alec Baldwin. Yeah, the very beginning. And I'm like, no, even when they watched it oh, later. Oh, they watched it later. No, no, when they watched it later. At the meeting. At the meeting. Yeah. And you're watching all these reactions, and it's supposed to make you, it makes you laugh a little. Yeah. But you laugh because how sad and ridiculous it is. Right. You know, it's like, wait, these idiots are watching a film really believing this is what it is. Yeah. Their wives are just as convoluted as they are. And, you know, going along with it, I'm like, I can't believe this actually but it also kind of makes you sick it makes you sick at the same time yeah because you have that laugh like i just it's that <laughs> ironic laugh it, that's i mean that's why that's why i have to say like you you look at i mean comparing spike to like let's say another director who's who's made a major impact not uh socially as much because spike's movies are very yeah they're different. always social conscious pretty but much. like take like christopher nolan yeah uh, you know nolan's first movie memento it's what's well, the second movie but his breakout movie mm-hmm. it's really raw and it's intense and it's yeah. a great movie by the time he comes around and he's making like Dunkirk and he's making like Interstellar, these movies have so much scope. They're so much bigger. They're so refined. He's able to do something like Dunkirk, like this nonlinear story that's about a period piece, mm-hmm. a real story, all this. He's using Harry Styles. He's able to do this because he spent an entire career trying to gauge what worked about his movies and what didn't. So the nonlinear storytelling works really well in Dunkirk in that sense in a shorter movie. Mm-hmm. I feel the same way about Spike now, right? He's he's done this for so long that he, he knows exactly the balance of like – I'm going to have this commentary. I'm going to do this. Like he tried just a few years ago. Chirac's like a semi musical. It's like pretty weird. It's like harder, harder to watch. It's harder to digest. I will admit though, it is harder to digest. If you don't know everything you're expecting to see going in. Yeah. If you're expecting to see a certain movie, a certain way. Yeah. And you're like, okay, this is what my mindset is on. This is what I'm expecting to see. And then you're thrown into the rhyming scheme. You're thrown into, the musical things that happen, yeah. and you're like, wait, what? This isn't what I expected. Yeah. I'll admit, at some points, and Spike, if you watching this, or Satchel, if anybody <laughs> shows Spike this, at points, I didn't know at first where we were going, because there are a lot of scenes I'm not in, of course. Yeah. And so, when you watch the whole thing together, you're like, that's... What inter- character are you in, Uh Be So Mighty. I play the uh, first first lieutenant, right-hand man to Cyclops, played by one Wesley Snipes. Oh, Snipes! That was me with him with the orange headband. Which is funny, because everybody's like, wait, where were you? I was like, it was the dude with the orange headband. Everybody like, oh my god, that was you? I was like, yeah, I'm the one that told him, let's talk I'd man, I'd man to man, eye to eye. Well, eye to eye patch. Which uh, was not in the script. Nice. So, but yeah. But so, like, seeing those parts where we had the gang conflict and what, what he was bringing about that, because it's based off of things yeah. that actually are happening in Chicago. So I understood that. The Lysistrata story, I understood. Yeah. When it did the musical breakdown, sometimes it was like, I just... I mean, look, you're an artist, you're an artist, you take chances. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's what Spike did. And, absolutely. And I will say, like, again, Spike, if you're watching this... One of my favorite interviews that I ever got to do with anyone was with Spike Lee. He was the most gracious person for just the five minutes that I got to spend with him. Mm-hmm. 
wonderful. Sat down, asked me where I was from. Like, he asked me the first question in the Junket interview. Mm-hmm. You know, great guy. Like, very cool. We talked about basketball mostly. We started arguing oh, about who was course. the best player of in the NBA. Of course you would. Uh, there was a clip in my reel for the longest time with that because it's just sweet. Like, he was talking about the Knicks and who, how many championships they'd won. I, like, totally knew all the years because, like, I'm into that mm-hmm. shit. Great guy. So nothing but respect for him, and he took a chance with that one. This is his best movie, in my opinion, because I think it combines everything he does well, all of his artistry, his sense of humor. It's relevant. The fact that they replaced the ending with the with the car attack. Ooh. Like it's by the end of this movie, it's a it's quite an experience. Uh, now, when you break all when you break everything you've said down and when you add in the fact of yes, to take the ending of the movie and put in Charlottesville, which had just happened last year. Yeah. And like, look, this is what's still going on. To use the actual footage to not make anything and up. The real David Duke. The real David Duke, when he said these different things, is like, it, what it's supposed to do is it opens up audiences who didn't believe it. Yeah. When people kept telling people, you know, this is a comparison to what happened back then. Yep. And to do that, you know, to show that that way, everybody's like, oh, for me, I'm not going to lie. When I was in the theater watching this, I literally had tears. Oh, yeah. Because it hits you so hard. So hard. You know, because we heard about the incident in Charlotte. And, of course, when you watch the news, you can't help but to see the replays and stuff. But after you've watched such a heavy film, yeah, as Black Klansman is, and the subsequent ending is not even the ending to the film, it's real-life incidents that have just happened in current-day America. It's crazy. Yeah, so. It's insane. I agree. With, so, I, you know, with all that, I do agree. This is his best film. Yeah. I do. I take those all in consideration. This is his best film. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, and that's, you know, it's one man's opinion, but it's my strong opinion. So, uh, what is, uh, what is your thesis statement? Spike Lee opens the door between the past and the present with this film. Okay. Cool. Talk to me. So. The past, what happened with the whole Ron Stallworth situation yep. with David Duke, where we always talk about in the media, David Duke saying was make America great again. Yeah, that's the opening the door to the past to show the door to the present. The Like we just talked about the end of the film, David Duke talking afterwards talking about how, yeah, yeah, he's he's with the president on how he agrees on those things. And the 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 Tiki Torch Nazis, as we're calling them. We're protesting and marching down the street. It takes a director like that to blend both together and not have them be forcibly blended. They roll together perfectly. Yeah. By the ending of the film, yeah, you found out that Duke is tricked and everything, all the things that happened. But then you say, hey, now let's go to present day. This is what it is. You feel the same way. Because even in the very of the begin- very beginning of the film, in the opening credits, it tells you this is based on some real life heavy shit. Yeah. It lets you know it. Yeah. And you get that notice at the beginning, and then you get even some more heavy shit at the end. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that's a great thesis. I think you're-, you're-, you're dead right. I think he has a great sense of that. And, and uh, the fact that that stuff at the-, at the very end of the film. And, I mean, it- yeah, this-, this, movie- this movie is, I think, the best combination of of stirring because of how relevant it is. Mm-hmm. But I can't believe that you laugh as much as you during doing the mo- during the movie. My sister said I watched it. I was like, it was really funny. She was like, really? That was your first? <laughs> I was like, I mean, that's just what I remember about the movie is I thought it was really funny. It was obviously scary, but made me laugh a lot. But that's a credit to Spike as a director because you have to add some levity to it to break the you know, break the monotony of all the darkness. Yeah. You have to add humor to this. If you don't, this is, is just a hard movie to try to digest yeah. for two hours and some change. I agree. If you don't take, if you don't add humor. And I don't think audiences, whether you're black, white, 
brown, it doesn't matter, would be able to digest that in this culture, in this day and age, without a little bit of humor to break it up and ease it and show you how we're going into it. Yep. Agreed. I'm going to read quickly uh, Christian Hestis' statement. He's a general in the Action Army. Wrote this thesis statement for us to share on the show. This is an episode dedicated to him, so here you go. I mentioned this when we had our Skype talk some weeks back, but the more I think about it, the more it makes sense to me. Topher Grace, as David Duke, gives the scariest performance ever not in a horror movie. We know he's a bad guy, but when he first talks with Stallworth, he is just this very well-spoken, very well-dressed, polite Southern guy. Depending on who he's with, He's either that, or he can turn into a racist monster, as in the banquet, or the birth of a nation scene. These contrasts stayed with me after the credits ended. The fact that the nicest people you meet can be the horrible racists and anti-Semites scares me more than all the clowns, vampires, and anything else in all of fiction. Tova Grace's performance showed that. I think it's a great thesis statement. I think it's a very, damn. It's, it's re- like, Ian, when you heard Topher Grace's playing David Duke, yeah, the dude from that 70s show, the dude who played Eddie Brock and Venom in Spider-Man 3 that nobody <laughs> liked. You're like, wait, that dude's going to be David Duke? And then you watch this performance. And it's perfect because he's perfect. He's like this pretty likable guy. And he gets him on the phone and you're like, it, that's, I mean, it, he's right. It's, it is far more terrifying when you realize what that guy's capable of. Because there's also the stuff that he says about institu- like getting involved in the institution so then you can change the laws to fuck people. Uh-huh. is like so frightening and obviously such a reflection of where we're at. As a country, which is which is really tough. So. <laughs> I think that's I think, and again, that goes to showing people what it really is. People say things today, and a lot of people take them as, "Oh, those never happen." They'll yeah. tell you about these things, and for to the all accounts, this is Star Wars interactions with David Duke. Yeah. So I don't when he wrote the book, I don't think he would sit there and embellish anything of that sort. We're talking about David Duke, a man known. For being this nice guy in public. Yeah. Unless you knew his thoughts. Right. So to watch Topher Grace deliver that in that sense, to sit there and just, yeah, buddy, how you doing? Yeah. You know, having conversations, and then you just realize how he really feels. It's wild. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, all right, guys, moving on to the next part of the show, fist pump moment. This is that moment something happens. You kind of look around. You're just like, this is the fucking, I get to watch the rest of this movie. This is so great. I'm so excited. Uh, and, you know, it can be literally anything. It can be the credits. It can be a single line, a look, uh, something that made you laugh. I'm going to jump in first with mine because they show it in the trailer. And I remember sitting in the theater. It's when Ron looks up at the sign at the beginning and he does the move with his afro. Yeah. There's just something about the humor in that. <laughs> Everything about it. It's like. I just thought it was so funny. It was like such a nice touch. <laughs> for <laughs> for me, like, it was when he was working in the file room yeah, yeah. and had to give the racist cop <laughs> that file. Like, <laughs> that was it for me. <laughs> yeah, this movie. This movie definitely. The, the, I think the humor is the thing that stuck with me the most, and it just has a lot of beats. Yes, it, it like. I mean, the, the heavy topic, obviously, like. I shouldn't say the humor sticks with me the most because the heavy topic's the thing that was on my mind longer. But I walked out of it like feeling like I had just watched something smart. It made me it made me feel like this wasn't just upsetting. Mm-hmm. This was a whole experience. And all those moments. I mean, whether they're the light ones like with the afro or or the racist cop. Yeah. Um all of it. I'm also Jewish, so uh, you know, that some of that stuff kind of like the stuff with Adam Driver. I'm just, I love the disclaimer real quick. It was like, I'm also Jewish. Well, no, that's because I know because the Adam Driver thing. Yeah. So that was like a part of it. You know, I was with Roxy Stryer when we saw this together and, mm. and she's also Jewish. And so both of us kind of came out and that was a part of it that really stuck with us. We talked about it was like, 
you know, you know this movie is about the KKK. You know that he's a black man infiltrating the KKK. And you also get the story with Adam Driver because mm-hmm. I love that scene with the two of them uh, when they're talking. And I'll say that later for favorite line. But that scene where they're talking and, he, and he's like, it's in the file room or whatever. And yeah, like, I know it's important. Why I know are you trying to avoid yeah. it? And like that stuff was was really interesting. Like, and then Adam Driver when he's you know when he's like, I'm gonna make you take this lie detector test. He's like, this is where you make your fucking you know your your candles and your fucking like. It's yeah. just like. It's like that grimy feeling. It's like, you're watching, oh, and, and knowing that Adam Driver is Jewish, Jewish. and, and yeah. even that he is Jewish and the character is Jewish, and it's like, oh, yeah, it hits. It's it's that that stuff's, uh, yeah, that stuff that stuff yeah, really gets you, man. man. So anyway, uh, continuing to move on through the show, guys, we're gonna get a little bit into star profiles. We'll start with John David Washington's three most recent films: Monster, Monsters and Men, and Love Beats Rhymes. I'm gonna be honest; I have not seen any of these movies. I saw Monsters and Men. How was it? It's okay. It it's a strong again. It's very. I don't know who directed. Pardon my forgetting that. Uh, but it's a very strong political film based off of what we go through today. Okay. With police brutality. Got it. As a whole, and it gives you the perspective from John David Washington, who is a police officer, uh, another man who is a vic- who who's the victim who one victim who dies, someone else who records the video, and how the cops are antagonizing him to not show that video to sit there and say, you never saw anything. It's so much in that movie, even though John David Washington is only in like one act of the movie. Okay. He's not throughout the entire movie. Cool. So it's a good, it's a good film. It, it hits on points and I know where it was going for, but there's a film later in the year that came out that, well, not even later, maybe a couple weeks or so, a month afterward that hit a little bit stronger. And that's the hate you give. Yeah, I, I didn't see that one yet, but I actually heard it was really good. Yeah, The Hate You Give, it hits it so much and so well. But again, same thing, the beats in a sense that Monsters and Men was trying to hit. Yeah, cool. Um, so that's John David Washington. He is Denzel Washington's son. He's got a shadow he's emerging from there, and I think he's doing a good job with it. Oh, him. yeah. This movie, he was really, really terrific in this movie. I thought I thought he turned in a really great performance. Um, on the other side, you've got Adam Driver. Um, his last few films, Star Wars The Last Jedi in 2017, Logan Lucky in 2017, and The Meyerowitz Stories, new and selected. If I remember correctly, The Meyerowitz Stories was the Dustin Hoffman, Adam Sandler one, the Noah Baumbach movie on Netflix. Is that right? I think so, and I didn't watch it. I did watch it. I'm just trying to remember who he was in the movie. I was I, I glanced over Logan Lucky, so I don't remember. You know, I saw parts of it, and I kept being in and out of it because I was doing different things. So. Yeah. Uh, I really, I really enjoyed, um, I really enjoyed Logan Lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed Last Jedi, and I really liked Meyer with stories. So uh, I, the only big Adam Driver movie from the last few years that I didn't see was Silence, which you know Scorsese movie I think from 2016. Oh wow! Which was his like big one of his big plays. So um, I think he's a pretty terrific actor. I like Adam Driver a lot. I think he's developing nicely, and he's kind of new for most people. Yeah, I was from most people know him from Girls. Yeah, when he was on the HBO show. But if you know him just from being Kylo Ren, yeah, this is a completely different flip. Yeah, going into Black Klansman, seeing him this way, and potentially even in in the other films. It's kind of nice, I think, for him that um, as great as Star Wars is, this generation of Star Wars movies, they're they're less significant because of the oversaturation. Mm-hmm. So it feels like when I think of Adam Driver, I don't think of him typecast like I think of Mark Hamill. 
right? Or yeah. Carrie Fisher. Like, I don't, like, like Harrison Ford was able to kind of buck that, but a lot of Star Wars actors get kind of caught up. Well, he kind of, did he buck it really? Because basically Indiana Jones is Han Solo. Just in Yeah, the, sure, sure. You know, it's just a different title. But I get what you're saying. He's not held to this. Like, as annoying as he is as Kyle Ren sometimes, I, and even <laughs> that was just 2017, I, I didn't watch this movie and find myself seeing Kylo Ren ever. He no. Was, yeah, like, right away I was in. Well, the, the trailers helped me out. Yeah. For me personally, because I was like, okay, I never really watched girls. Yeah. So I was like, okay, what are we going to see of him as this character? Because I'm thinking, is he going to be a sniveling cop? Yeah. But he wasn't. He was a cop with a strong conviction, a reason that why he didn't want to do it that you didn't know at first. Yeah. And then when you find out he's doing it, he's having his own feelings about this because it's hitting him. Right. And so I love the development throughout the story of it, of his character. Yeah, I agree. I thought I thought their relationship was the strongest part of the whole movie. And on the flip side of it, actually, I thought the romantic relationship with John David Washington was was probably the weakest part. It it didn't do a lot for me. It it, it was supposed to serve more of a purpose. Yeah, and it did not. Right. The purpose that's supposed to serve is it's supposed to show the other side of it, like the fact that you know maybe maybe he is this cop who's trying to go undercover and do this thing. But his people, right? Like mm-hmm. the people that expect him to be, like, they're still just like, you're still a cop. You still don't get no it. You know, yep. No matter how noble you think your cause is here, you're still not really one of us because you're not fighting for, for freedom in the same mm-hmm. way that everyone else wants you to, you know? I will say one of the best scenes for me, too, was to have um, have Corey Hawkins in this, uh, Stokely, Car- Stokely Carmichael. Yeah, that was a great scene. That scene with him delivered that emphatic speech and yeah. John David Washington being undercover. Because he's working with the police. He's working directly with the Colorado Springs police at that moment. And for him to imbibe everything Carmichael is telling him. Yeah. And he has to realize, like, damn, am I supposed to stick to who I am as skin color? Yeah. Or stick to who I am as my profession being a police officer? Because you watch watch the character go through those emotions. You know, even when they're in the van telling them, all right, what is he doing next? And he's just trying to be like, they're they're just chanting. They're just... Yeah, and when he has to do his report in the, in the police chief's office, it's different things. This movie hits again, like we say, hits on so many different beats for so many different moments. Again, Corey Hawkins coming in for basically one scene, one yeah. or two scenes, and destroying. He was great, adding to an already stellar film. I like I like Corey Hawkins a lot. I think he's a really good actor. I think he's going to have a big career. I've been I've been impressed with almost everything he's done. Hey, straight out of Compton, gave it to me for him. Yeah, it was twenty four. I was like, meh, okay. Yeah, he kind of he kind of bombed. On he that bombed on twenty four. <laughs> I mean, he was fine in Walking Dead, but he's yeah, really... he was fine in Walking. Yeah, but I just didn't like his hair. He was good as Doctor Dre. I hated his hair in Walking yeah. Dead. Yeah, love that guy. <laughs> uh, all right, guys, continuing to move through the show, we are gonna uh, coming up this week on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Team Action, where Drew and I do behind the scenes uh, schmodown reactions and all kinds of fun stuff. There, uh, we're gonna be doing a mini review of the Social Network. As a couple weeks ago on the Action Guys, we covered. Uh, you you didn't see my face when you mentioned schmodown. Like, mm. Yeah, <laughs> we'll talk about it in a yeah. minute. Give me a second here. Okay, um, but uh, that's what's coming up on the show this week so let's talk about the people that made this movie um some some newer writers honestly screenwriters charlie watchell and david rabinowitz are two of the credit screenwriters on black klansman having options star wars memoir the decision to make a zimmerman jewish was fictional and their decision in telling it was a decision spike lee took and ran with to uh, uh ran with further than they anticipated um charlie before black klansman 
said they had literally written one thing together, a TV pilot. It had gotten us some meetings. That was a crime drama, so we knew we wanted to stay in the thriller space. Charlie Watchell has only worked on four prior prior credits, including a short film called Madness. He wrote himself um, and, uh, let's say, called Short Stiff. So basically these guys hadn't done a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. They, they were newer writers. Um, David Rabinowitz, writer-producer, has written four shorts titled Harmless, It's Tough Out There, Madness, and The Shadow Prologue. So... Largely, the people working on this movie hadn't done much. It's a it's a younger team of writers, except for Kevin Wilmot. Yeah, and Kevin is a professor at the University of Kansas. He's a good friend of mine. I met Kevin while we were working together on Chirac. Him and Spike work together a lot. Okay, and collaborate, and as well as doing that, he does. Kevin does a lot of films based on a lot of the racial undertones that go on in America, Confederate States of America. It says basically what happened if the South won the Civil War. Okay. You know, those type of looks. Ninth uh, Stream, Bucker Hill. Like, he's got some other things coming out as well. I did an interview with him before Black Klansman came out. He did the honor of letting me interview him. And we talked a lot about that. We talked about the different, you know, themes he likes to bring forward to light. And especially being a professor of film. Yeah. You know, teaching students of all races, all creeds. So I love that about it as well. That's cool. That's awesome that you got to spend some time with Kevin. I didn't know that. Yeah, Kevin's Kevin's cool, dude. I, I tell everybody, when I go back to Chirac, our first table read. Yeah. I'm sitting, so at the head of the table is Kevin Wilmot, Spike Lee, and Randy. I can't remember Randy's last name, his first AD. On the right side of the table is Nick Cannon, my boy Eldorado Jones, uh, a couple other people. Next there on this side is Wesley Snipes, me, two, three seats down, Angela Bassett, uh, Steve uh, Steve Harris, some of the people. I'm like, Tiana, Tiana Perry. That's who was on the other side. Tiana was on the other side. Michelle Michener was on our side. And just all these people. Cusack or no? <laughs> I don't think Cusack was in the uh, – Cusack was busy at the Cubs games. So he wasn't at the table read. So, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. That's, that's, that's unbelievable. I, I – uh... I remember I really, really enjoyed Wesley Snipes in that movie. I thought he was really funny. I, thought I didn't know he laugh, had that much humor. That laugh he did was great. Because we would always, we would, during between takes and everything, yeah. we just cracking jokes and just talking. And him and I got real cool. And so I saw a different side of a person I've been a fan of yeah. for decades he got kind of pissed at me in the uh in the interview uh not like pissed but i was like talking to him i asked him a bunch of questions and he answered well and then i was like if you know marvel comes to you and they're like hey we want to reboot blade we want to start it over you get to write produce recast direct all of it it's totally up to you right who's the guy you cast to take over and he's like yep that'll get him mad right there and he goes and he's like Oh, I think I'd take that guy, um, what's his name, I, you know, uh, Wesley Snipes. Snipes. He's yep. still in pretty good shape. He still looks pretty much exactly the same. And I was like, I was like, thank you for your time. He's like, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> but he was cool afterwards. I didn't yeah. make sure with him and Spike, so it was, it was fine. <laughs> um, but uh, anyhow, Spike Lee, we've talked a bunch about, came mm-hmm. out in the, in the mid-'80s, uh, writer-director, very involved in the sports world, probably most famous for making, I would say. Scotty Pippen mad on the court against the Knicks. Uh, yeah, and I would say, I mean, he's famous in, in the sports world, but for film, I would say he's probably most famous for having done Do the Right Thing, mm-hmm. maybe like Jungle Fever. She's Gotta Have It. She's Gotta Have It. That's the 80s stuff. Mo Better Blues. Mo Better Blues. Malcolm X, He Got Game, Inside Man. Uh, when the Levees Broke. Okay, yeah. I don't know that one as well. That's the, the documentary he did about the aftermath of Katrina. Okay, yeah. 
Uh, Sweet Blood of Jesus is not one people like at all because it was just bad. Summer of Sam was kind of weird. Oh yeah, people, but, some people like Summer of Sam. But again, those are, they're different movies. He takes chances. Yeah, and he's I mean he's done a ton of other stuff too. As we mentioned, Chirac, mm-hmm. the Old Boy remake. He did you know Miracle at St. Anna. He did Clockers. He, he's done a ton Crooklyn. of Brooklyn. Yeah, the guy's made a lot of movies. Yes, um, but he is famous for obviously having a lot of themes. Uh, you know, confronting racial. Uh, prejudice in his films he, he likes to to really focus on that he's won an honorary oscar a few years ago i hate that the honorary oscar i hate it he's i if anything this should be the film yeah that gets it for him the real oscar the real oscar because the honorary oscar is saying we never wanted to take a chance because of his movies what they encompassed they didn't want to take a chance on it i hate to say it but i don't think spike's gonna win an oscar for this movie who do you think it's it I just think there's five to ten movies that are like more well loved this year. I think Fair, is... and I take I say this in comparison to last year's Oscars. Yeah, where Guillermo got it, and a lot of people said it was finally about time they gave it to him. Yeah, yeah. Not saying he's not deserving by no means. Sure, but they said when Guillermo got it, it was like, yo, it's about time they gave him one. I mean, as, as Leonardo DiCaprio. So. I guess the, I mean, the big, all the big Oscar movies, you know, like Beautiful Boy and like yeah. all those movies, like, but maybe, maybe none of them has like a, like a clear best director. I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll definitely see. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but uh, talking about Spike Lee here, I want to talk about our favorite comeback movie. It's this thing we talked about at the beginning of the show, and a lot of people are ta- calling this the comeback of Spike Lee. This is his big return to prominent mainstream filmmaking. Yeah. This movie made a good amount of money. We'll get to that in a second. It was really well received. And uh, this happens sometimes. Our favorite writers, directors, actors, actresses, they kind of fall on hard times. They fall out of the limelight. They come back with something. Uh, and I want to talk about some of our favorites. So uh, do you have a favorite comeback movie? Yeah. And it's going to be a weird one, some people think. Jennifer Jason Lee in The Hateful Eight. Oh, okay. Remember, she had fallen out the limelight for real. Yeah, big time. We, had never, we hadn't seen her in a while. And her portrayal as Daisy Domergrew throughout that film, it was something you'd never seen her as. Interesting. I never so, saw it. I still haven't watched it. Oh, dude. Please watch The Hateful Eight. It is, she, be, she plays a murderer that all we know of is first. And she's just as racist as everybody else. Okay. But she's so deceitful and evil. And it's not the Jennifer Jason Lee people knew. And so this gave her a resurgence in career. And people started, you know, directors started, hey, I want to work with you with this and work with yeah, you with that. She was an annihilation. She was an annihilation. All this is from The Hateful Eight. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Um, yeah, I, I guess I wouldn't have thought that was her comeback, but that's probably true. I can't think of really anything she was in. I guess she had been in The Machinist, but that's like 2005 or Nothing something. that was really noteworthy. Yeah. That really made you like, yo, Jennifer Jason Lee is back. Yeah. Until it was The Hateful Eight. Cool. And that's what happens. You sometimes that's that's like a big thing. If you can be a, an actor or actress and you and you work closely with an auteur, somebody like a Quentin Tarantino or your Wes Anderson types, they can really keep you relevant. Uh, you can take some time off and come back. You get a big role in a movie like that, and it mm-hmm. you know makes makes a big difference. For me, I'm gonna go uh, Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler back love, in 2008. I remember when I met him when I first moved out here. Mickey Rourke, yeah, yeah, right after The Wrestler he came out, yeah. And I had to tell him thank you, yeah, for the honest portrayal he did as having been a professional wrestler for 16 years. Yeah, yeah, the Urban Gladiator. Yeah, going back in the ring next year. And Are you so, really? That's why I've been training so much. That's why I'm in the gym. I'm going to the gym as soon as we're done recording this. Uh, yeah, I'm getting back in the ring, lacing my boots up and everything. But to watch what he did, to take the role, to sit there and go work with the guys from CZW, yeah. the opening scene, to work with Necro Butcher, who's my buddy Dylan, 
and to deal with all that, to know exactly, this is what people go through. This is what these older wrestlers go through who they were in the limelight. And then yeah. all of a sudden their time has, their time has died out. And so what he did, the portrayal of it was amazing. Cause remember we had him as whiplash and Iron Man too. It's right like, after it's like, he gets that role right after I he mean, gets it after right, right after Yes. Right after the wrestler, but the wrestler stands out more than his role in Iron Man. Too. Oh, big time. I mean, I don't know, uh, Marissa, if you want to pull it up, the the trailer for the wrestler. To this day, I'll bet you if we put this on, I'll bet you start tearing up. It's one of the best trailers I've ever seen. It's truly like one of my favorite trailers I've ever watched. It's the song "The Wrestler" written by Bruce Springsteen uh-huh. for that soundtrack, which is incredible. But it's uh, that movie is just so good on so many levels. Like Aronofsky, what he did with it, and the way that he they rewrote a lot of the script to kind of mirror Rourke's life. Yes, you know, it's it's really truly kind of him in that character. Dude. Makes me sad that he didn't really ride this wave he kind of fell back out after about two or three years i mean years. he appeared at wrestlemania did he really yeah oh, i didn't know that yeah and, he's, and now he's starting to kind of get up there he was dude this is everything that happens wrestlers old school wrestlers taping up the knees this is legit i've been in the locker room with these guys great That's to meet you one two real. yep i know that arena well i've performed that many times it's got to be you really brought it. just Thank brutal, you. too. You hang in there, you got a lot of ability. He got, like, seriously injured, right? Yeah, he got actually hurt. Oh, man, those are the looks and those are the days. Now he has to go work at a regular shop. This shit, this movie kills me. Isn't that when you sit on other dudes' faces? I haven't actually watched it since the first time, but I've seen this trailer a few times. <laughs> Marissa Tomei was like, yo. She's crazy. Are you the daughter? No, oh, my daughter, she don't like me very much. You should call her. Yeah, this makes me want to go watch it again. What do you want from me? I'm an old, broken-down piece of meat, and I deserve it. And he's got the hearing aid, right? Because he's getting mm-hmm. fucked up. He can't really hear me. He should have beaten Sean Penn for Miller. Oh, he definitely should have. You know, with a little luck, this could be my ticket back on top. Tell me, friend, can you ask for it? Man, best ever. Remember, I learned to play this song a long time back when I used to play a lot of music. And all the kids, and they played yeah. the old video game, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Dude, all of us was the armpits. All of us real, take, getting stitched up in the back after a yeah. show. Here's the part I wonder. The way it ended, the thing I love about it, how it ended. Yeah. That'll work. You're talking about a real movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the way it ended, like, you don't know if he died. Yeah, I know, when he jumps off the thing. Because he could have. Because there's, there's several wrestlers right now who had to retire because if they took one more bump, they could paralyze them or kill them. That's what it's called, right? When you take a bump? When you take the falls, they're called taking bumps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this movie, like I said, for as a wrestler, as somebody in the business, as somebody who's traveled the country, who's been in these locker rooms that are sometimes storage closets, who's performed in gymnasiums, National Guard armories, bigger venues, even stadiums, you see this and you see the older guys all the time Yeah, who are like, they can't let go. They don't know. Nothing else works. They don't know how to do anything else. When when uh, a guy comes up like in WWE or whatever, mm-hmm. like let's say it's like 
they always come from like an amateur, like they're wrestling in gyms. Well, and stuff? not anymore. Not anymore. There are a few that do come up from the indie circuit, as it's called. Yeah. But now the WWE is working on developing their own projects and products, and so that's why they have the Performance Center down in Orlando. They train people. Got it. They train you to wrestle, and there are some who are breakout stars who now that's why you have NXT, where you get these breakout stars on the indie circuit, and yeah. the WWE brings them in. And you still have, again, on the flip side, those older stars. You've got Triple H and Shawn Michaels, who are arguably two of the greatest. Yeah. The Undertaker and Kane as well, who just did a show a couple of months ago in Saudi Arabia because it was paid for, and they both were getting like $2 million a apiece. Yeah, wow. But it's like, you're the older guys. Let go. Triple H, you're the COO of the company. Yeah. Shawn Michaels, you have a cushiony position. Kane, you're a mayor now. Taker, you do real. You have real estate investments that will keep you set for the rest of your life and your kids set. But like the, the that's the thing though. Is like it, that may be true, but there's got to be just like a not an ego, but like a they love it. Oh no, yeah, I, absolutely. That's why I'm going back. Look, I, I'm a stand up. <laughs> I'm a stand up comedian. Yeah. I'm an actor. Yeah. I'm in a host as here. I'm an illustrator and so much more. And yet I'm getting back in the ring after a two year absence because I love it. Yeah. You miss it. I miss it. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. You've been working out hard. What's the name of your guy that you always tag when you post your pictures? <laughs> so if pictures? you ever follow me on Instagram, you'll see the hashtag supervillain status, and it'll say hashtag Mr. Miracle, which is in reference to one of my favorite uh, supervillains, Deathstroke, <laughs> a.k.a. Slade Wilson. Yeah, I like Deathstroke. He was great in uh, Ult- uh, Infinite Crisis. Yes, he indeed. Fight Batman there. there it's, only like, it's a really crappy fight at the end of it, right, mm-hmm. when he actually fights him. But it was it should have been better. He should have gotten like actually more... <sighs> Yeah. It's like two pages or something. That's all. It was just like, this is, you look, you see the fight, it's over. Yeah. Really? They built it up for so long. And then just to be a wash. Yeah, sucked. Um, all right, guys, that's going to be our favorite comeback movie. We're going to get into critical and box office now. This film was made by Focus Features. Uh, cost $15 million to make. Released August 10th, 2018. Had a domestic box office run of $48 million, which is pretty strong. Three times its cost. Worldwide made another 39 for a total of 88 mil. $15 million investment, probably another five for promotion. That's really good. Not that's, at all. That's, that's great for Spike. He, he did really well with this. Um, opening weekend, it was number five uh, behind uh, The Meg, Mission Impossible, Fallout, Christopher Robin, and Slenderman. Um, you know, but it, it opened at $10 million, and it actually sustained. And this was a word-of-mouth movie, so this movie did really well. Critical in box office uh, wraps up here with a, with a critical score on Rotten Tomatoes of 95%. Top critics, 100%. So, really, really strong. Yeah, this was one of the first, like, next to Get Out. Yeah. Was the totally, you know, fresh rated films. 81% by the audience and IMDb score of 7.6. The IMDb score is a little surprising to me. Um, It is weird. It feels a little low. This feels a little more, like, in that 8, 8, 7.9, 8.1 kind of range. Yeah. Uh, You know, aggregate scores on IMDb are kind of bullshit anyway, but... 7.6 7.6 still feels a little low considering it's a new movie. Usually younger audiences. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how you watch this movie and you don't like it unless you're just a racist. Maybe that's why you don't like it. <laughs> Maybe that's where those reviews come from. Um, so let's get into our top movies of 2018. You mentioned 100% fresh. Um, we're kind of closing the year out. Now, we probably both have not seen all of the movies. No. And there's some stuff. I have screeners at home for a few things I need to watch. Uh, there are some of the big Oscar movies I have not yet seen beautiful boy i haven't seen i have not seen that yet you know i haven't seen the favorite yet there's a few films that i skipped um but i do have my favorite three that i've seen so i can talk about that same here yeah uh my number one movie of the year and i'm not going to be shocked if it's the same as yours and we follow each other on twitter so you might even know what i'm going to (laughs) say um for a long time i thought it was my second movie but i just after watching it again last week it's avengers infinity war it's my favorite movie of the year it's not my favorite it's in my top 10 yeah it's in my top 10 um 
I love what they did. It was something that you never thought you'd see. Yeah. To take it, first of all, to take an ensemble cast like that and make it work. I just couldn't believe when I've watched it again, and we have done an episode on this show before, guys, and if you follow me on Twitter, you're probably annoyed just hearing me talk about it by now, but... <laughs> I just when I watched it again at the the the, the, call, the collider thing last week, yeah. you know, with the Q and A, I was just like, again, this is the best moment. These this has the best Thor moment, the best Captain America moment, and the best Iron Man moment in the MCU ever. Mm-hmm. Every line that Thanos has feels iconic. He feels like it feels like he has like truly iconic movie lines. All that for a drop of blood, like dude, so badass. <laughs> I want to use that line in my real life. All that for a drop of. I even use matter of fact for my podcast, Mad Titan Podcast. I use a quote, yeah, from Thanos in the film that said, "I ignored my destiny once. Yeah, I cannot do that again, not even for you." So sweet. <laughs> I too have the curse of information. He has so many good lines. It's unbelievable. And and like I just when I watched it again, like my favorite moment in that whole movie, and I think my single favorite MCU moment, is when Cap runs in after he's cast everyone aside, he slides under, and he actually gets him on the chin. Oh yeah. And then he's holding the glove. Cause Thanos even looks like, man, what the Yeah, he's like, Who is this guy? And it's like that what's so cool about that is that it's a representation of how good Captain America is. Yeah. That's what makes him so strong and strong enough to hold yes. the glove is that it's like that power of good because Thanos is pure evil. That he's just like, it's just it's the coolest thing yeah, ever. Yeah, until he gets punched square in the head. Yeah, knocked out. <laughs> but then at the same time, you've got Scarlet Witch and Vision. He's like, you could never hurt me. It's okay. That whole... That, that moment yeah. is one of the most saddest moments if you've ever broken it down. Have you ever broken uh, that moment down? Scarlet Witch proves to be the most powerful person in the MCU over Captain Marvel. Yeah. Because of that moment. You know why? She is fighting off Thanos while destroying the Mind Stone yeah. while killing the love the of her soul life. Stone. Soul stone. The Soul Stone, excuse me. No, that's the Mind Stone. The Vision Stone? Visions is the Mind Stone. Oh, the Soul Stone is the Gamora it's one. Is the Gamora one. The Mind Stone while yeah. killing the love of her life. Yeah. All three of those at the exact same time. Yeah, she's so powerful. I Just that whole movie. I mean, we could talk about that movie forever. Yes, but, we could. But that's my favorite movie of the year. My number two movie is a movie called Love, Simon, which, uh, okay, yeah. which was my favorite movie this year until I kind of realized just how much I liked Infinity War. Uh, <laughs> I've seen Love, Simon a couple times. It's it's amazing. And like, if you guys haven't seen it, I, I just highly recommend it. It's like the most likable. Like, it's just a great coming-of-age movie. It's, mm-hmm. it's awesome. And I think my third favorite movie this year was Thoroughbreds. Um, I haven't seen that one. It was really good. It was Olivia Coleman and Anya Taylor-Joy with uh, Anton Yelchin in his final role. Oh. And it's a really kind of weird, just like dark indie movie. Uh, but it's really, really, really good. I really like Thoroughbreds. I thought that movie was terrific. So those are probably my top three. There's a few others in there that I really enjoyed, but uh, those are my three favorites. What do you got? For me, uh, I said it was in my top ten because Infinity War is my number three for reasons we just described. Number two is The Hate You Give. Okay, yeah. The hate you give, and you said you haven't seen it yet. There's a very, there's a scene in the very opening where Ru- Russell Hornsby is talking to his kids as younger as young kids at the table, and he is telling them about how to make sure they behave when they interact with the police. Hmm. These kids are eight and nine. Yeah, that scene in itself sets up everything else you're gonna see, and it's so powerful because a, I have had that discussion had with me. Yeah, with my mother. B, I've had that discussion with my 15-year-old son. Oof. 
So that resonated so much just in the beginning and everything that happens afterwards. And of course, for me, everybody knows that I've been a diehard advocate of it before. Once we saw the trailer, my number one movie for this year is Black Panther. Oh, yeah. You because love, I love I, I can't believe you like Black Panther more than Infinity War. I like it because I never thought I would ever see him get a solo movie. Yeah, that's fair. I like, not to mention what now people will go off the what about the third act in the fight look Disney didn't give them that much of a budget yeah I get that but to take a fictional country like Wakanda yeah bring it to life in the way we saw it, not just seeing it from the outside seeing it from the inside yeah seeing the actual people not just T'Challa and the Dora Malache and things like that not just the royal palace and everything to see all this to see the interactions that he has the way he lives a semi-normal life and still tries to do yeah. things there was so much about it because I know of the Ta-Nehisi Coates run, where it comes from. Um, I loved it so much. And, I, again, when it hit Netflix, I think I Netflix probably told me, stop, fam, because I kept watching it you over. Watched it I just saw it the one time. I saw it in, in New York. My, my coolest experience with that was uh, I had just started doing a movie review show, and I didn't get my screening for that when I was in L.A. Mm-hmm. So I had to, to be able to get a review out reasonably on time. I had to go see a Thursday night screening in New York, um, and I was there for work, so I was by myself. Yeah. And I was probably one of four white people in theater, I'm guessing, five maybe. It was such a unique experience to be away from home. Yeah, to be, some... And it was the loudest theater I've ever been in. I mean, it was just, it was a, it was like a, it was amazing. It was like the energy yeah, in the yeah, theater absolutely. was like something I like never had experienced. I think for me also, what it did for generations of African Americans there are yeah. o- there are like older black men and women who had never seen a superhero movie in their lives. They weren't paying to go see any MCU film. They weren't paying to go see any DC film. Yeah. But yet they made sure they saw this movie. Yeah. Because of the cultural significance and the historic implications behind it. And that holds volume in my heart. As a, not even being a part of the film, but as many other black people, we, we like, yo, what this film did. Yeah. It broke barriers. It broke ground. So that's that's why it's my number one. It's a huge, yeah, it's a huge deal. I actually, I also love the Black Panther moments in Infinity War. Oh my like, god! Dude, when they're at the line and he's like, he's whatever he's saying, like Ebonbay, Ebonbay, yeah. or, or when him and Captain America start run running. the foot race, he's like Wakanda forever, and then they open the thing, and they start running, and then you so see, cool. You see Black Panther almost get Captain yeah. America, then he comes up and they go back and forth yeah. like. I need y'all to have a regular foot race. <laughs> oh, that scene's amazing. I just love that movie so much. Um, that, to, like, that to me is, like, you've read comics your whole life, yes. right? So I have 6,000 comics in my mom's basement. That was my, when I was a little kid, that was my my whole life. A whole world. My mama threw mine away. Oh, no. So I don't have... <laughs> I, I worked in comic book stores for store credit starting at nine. Yeah. I worked in comic book stores for like seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, I read everything when I was growing up and like Marvel was my shit. So growing up, th- the idea of what those big crossover stories would feel like and whether you're talking about like the good ones like Infinity War mm-hmm. or even when you're talking about like, I don't know if you remember like Heroes Reborn or Heroes Return. Or any I remember stuff. Heroes Reborn. Like when they did the crossover with Image mm-hmm. and like they're fighting like Onslaught or whatever. Yeah. Like when I was a little kid, when I was like 10, I was reading that and I was like, this is so cool. It's amazing to see you like, oh, these the are I- heroes I didn't think I would see together. <laughs> and the idea that you could somehow see that on screen at some point, something as epic as that, and they did it. It felt like reading those comic books. And it worked. Yeah. Not only did they do it, it worked. I think everybody, when we first saw the first Avengers. We were like, okay, you put them together. We never seen them together on screen. And that was impressive. That was impressive. Then you saw the tease of Thanos, yeah. and you were like, okay, the second Avengers movie is going to be Thanos, which it was supposed to be. Yeah. Then they said, no, we'll do Ultron. All right, we had to have that movie. The movie sucked. That movie sucked. Yeah. But then we got to Civil War, which started the buildup. Yeah. Made, like, we'd had the different buildups, but Civil War was like, here it comes. 
Yeah. And then you got Infinity War and you're like, oh, they didn't. They had everybody, but not at the same time. But yeah. when they had people, even bigger groups, it worked. Yeah. And again, Thanos, look, Josh Brolin deserves awards for a comic book actor of the year. He really does. Being Thanos and Cable, no yeah. matter how people may feel about Deadpool 2. But Thanos, what he great. did, he was so dark and he was sociopathic. Amazing. He was like, yo, I'm going to kill half the universe, but it's for a good reason. Yeah. Kill half you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, all right, awesome guys. Uh, let's work into the last part of the show here. What is your favorite line from this film? Oh my god, we saw it in the trailer. I hate Jews. Oh, I yeah, hate Mexicans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I hate most. I hate those darkies because <laughs> when he delivers it, everybody in the office the look. is looking like what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, it's the line that I mentioned earlier. It's when they're in the file room under, and he's like, "Why don't you want to do this? Why are you for men?" He's like, "You're you're uh, masquerading as a wasp." white anglo-saxon whatever he says mm-hmm. like that whole exchange is just fantastic his, <laughs> his like his like uh dave Chappelle as a white guy voice that he does oh my god is pretty good it's pretty fucking it's funny. ron stallworth Plus i tell ron you stallworth ron i'll tell you yeah <laughs> i thought it was pretty funny it's, it's good yes it i is. love that scene i love that line um i thought it was great so uh, all right guys we're just gonna answer a quick ama question from another general in the army we got paul denuso asking does the fact that spike lee paid over two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, he was to help paid. facilitate. Oh, uh, was paid over two hundred thousand dollars to help facilitate an ad campaign to improve relations between minorities and police, taint the message of the film, and it's using good cops as heroes in the fight against racism. And I think the answer to that question is no. Um, I think the film succeeds on its own, Paul. And I think the thing about that is, if Spike Lee is being paid money to help facilitate relationships between minorities and police, that's a good thing. That's somebody mm-hmm. that's somebody who's intelligent, has experience and understands the problem that you're putting in a position to try to help. You're you're trying to you're 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 giving him the opportunity to create media to help facilitate a better relationship. And while there are bad apples, of course, mm-hmm. there are also ones that want to make a change. They want things to be better. You know, not every like not every white police officer is a villain. Like, right. And I think that's when you're putting the opportunity in someone like Spike Lee's hands to try to do that. I think that's a good thing. Spike has been known for discussions about race relations with the police. Yeah. Go back to do the right thing. Yeah. Go back to do it was one of the main elements of the of the film for someone who is vocal, a vocal proponent of speaking out against this. He is the best person to have with this film. Again, the story is of a black police officer yeah, who infiltrates the Klan in a police force that still has racist officers. Who be- He knows how to deliver this message. Yeah. It was no just not all these cops are this way. Again, I know I have long, lifelong friends, excuse me, who are Chicago police officers. Yeah. They know what goes on and they hate it sometimes, but they want to work to be better than what they see hmm. and what's always heard about. So I don't think it taints it at all. I don't. Perfect. Paul, thanks for the question. Um, there are three action movie categories. Totally ridiculous, totally legitimate, and ridiculously legitimate. Uh, totally ridiculous in movies like you know Demolition Man, Con Air, Face Off. They're awesome. They're silly, but y- you laugh a lot, and mm-hmm. that's what makes them great. Um, t- ridic- uh, totally legit are movies like every you know Lone Survivor, Gladiator, so even like The Fugitive, something like that. They're they're pretty grounded in reality. They hold together. They never really make you laugh unintentionally. And ridiculously legit. The middle category. You know, that's movies like Point Break and Predator, The Rock. Uh, they're they're sillier, but they're usually grounded by one really compelling element, and that's what makes them classics. Okay. Um, which category does this fit in for you? I would have to go totally legitimate. I agree completely. Totally legitimate. 
Yeah, I don't think there's any chance. The middle category, maybe because of the premise and yeah. some of the stuff, like stylistically that he does, does take me out of it a little bit, but not enough. Like, it gets close. Like, like Alec Baldwin at the beginning, that's like a weird Spike Leeism where he's just going to, like, have this thing happen. It's like, like Chirac, for instance, yeah, yeah. would be probably the middle or even maybe totally ridiculous. That's the part where they're outside singing outside of the armory. Oh, my God. I did the ADR for that. <laughs> so I was like, what are we singing to? And they showed us, and I was like, yeah, wait, they filmed this? Yeah. they did. Look, I'm sorry. I know it happened. Okay, I saw it. <laughs> but that was the ridiculous moment in that, so for me. And I think, you know, for, for me, it's done well enough. It's scary enough. It never makes me laugh in a in, in the wrong kind of way. Mm-hmm. I, I would call this movie totally legit. I think that's Yeah, totally I, I agree. Fair. Um, all right, so guys, really quickly before we get into the last bit of the show here, I do want to have a quick schmodown corner moment with Mr. Jay Washington. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got a we've got a big event coming up here. The spectacular mm. hits uh, hits later in December. Um, you know, we're waiting to find out who's going to be playing in the singles division. We're in the middle of that tournament going on there. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious after he beat Dan Merle, it's going to yeah. be Ethan Irwin. Well, uh, it's pretty obvious. I don't know about that. I do. Yeah, he's your boy. It, I know that. If he beat Chance Ellison, who was a good competitor, yep. Uh, he beat the GOAT, supposedly, in Dan Murrow. Who else is there? Who does he play next? He has to play the winner the of... The winner of Clark Wolf and Mark Andreco. Okay, and that matches next week, I think. I think that next week, yes. Yeah, so yeah. whoever... But either one, Ethan either gets his rematch with Mark... Yeah. Or he gets to go up against Clark, who he said he's a little bit nervous about, but rightfully so... But I still believe in Ethan. He's the Andre the Giant of the Schmodown. He's he's amazing. I mean, he's he, amazing. Ethan's really good. Uh, you know, you're, he's he's your boy. I uh, obviously. I'm very happy to work with him. Look, I hope he beats Clark Wolf. I hope that happens. I hope he, I hope Clark beats Andreco, and mm. I hope that he because Clark beat me. I lost to Clark in the first round of the tournament. Yeah, which you lost. To, I, I've you, also you sh- lost to Draco, but I I didn't lose to Draco. And this you time. shouldn't have beat Janine. But that's a whole nother story. Do you want to talk about that match? No, I don't want to talk about it. Just, Are you sure? I'm just saying how I felt because there was this moment in that match. At the end there, when that my song comes on, I get up and I'm walking out, and it cuts over, and you're hugging Janine. It's it's my single most triumphant favorite moment in my Shmodan career. I felt like such a villain in the best possible way, and I just want to thank you for that. You're lucky this is your show. <laughs> you're so lucky this is your show. I mean, you all do have a tag, have a team title match at the Spectacular, yeah, yeah. Um, against the Shire Wolves, which so I, mean, I get to play Clark. So I mean, ultimately, if Draco beats. Wolf and it's Andreco versus Irwin, mm. and that happens. I'm okay with that too. I mean, uh, like any any way you slice it, it's going to be good. Yeah, but again, do you all think you all have a chance against the Shire Wolves? Riley and I. Oh yeah, I mean, I, we're the, I think we're the best team out there right now. I mean, they're the champs though. They're on fire. <sighs> you all are good. I mean, granted, nobody thought even since Anarchy, you all would be able to do what you did. Did you see us take down the Harris brothers in three rounds in a five round match? Did you see that happen? No, because I don't care about your <laughs> matches. I don't really care. Uh, the fact of the matter is, you're arguably going, thus the Harris brothers, we're talking about the champs. Look, I look, I get it. It's going to be a great match. I have respect for Clark and Rachel. They're great players, mm-hmm. but um, I, I, I think we got this. I think, okay. it's our, I think it's ours to win. So okay. um, It's ours to lose, really. Like I think, what's, I think if we don't mess up, we should be able to win that match. Uh, how's your buddy going to feel if you win? I don't know, man. I mean, that's that's a really big question. Not only should no, do I mean, you no think you're gonna win, I think he'd be, I think he'll be happy. He's happy to see me playing in a title match, no matter what. That's With, what I without him, I look team action. We're we're action army for life. So like he's, you know, okay, that, you know, 
All right. I just, I mean, I hope the best with you and your sunglasses, both of y'all. Yeah. You know, and Riley's just going to be there with Cal. So y'all do what y'all do. We ride together, die together, bad boys for life. That's what it is. Um, so which one of y'all is Mike Lowry? <laughs> so he's Marcus Burnett is what you're yeah. telling me? Yeah, I'll, Drew I'll, is Marcus Burnett? I'll be Lowry. I'll be Lowry. I'll, of course he will. <laughs> Uh, all right, guys, that's going to wrap up Schmodown Corner here. Thank you, Jay Washington. We just have one last thing here to do on the show, and that's called The Pitch. Drew always does like a cougar growl there. I didn't do it. Uh, we're doing Pulp Fiction next week. Drew's back. He's back oh, on the show. He's back dude. from Tokyo. Uh, Drew, if you're watching this, I'm excited that we get to cover this. Uh, that'll be next week. We're doing Pulp Fiction. We're getting close to episode 200. So, uh, Jay, where can the folks find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. J Washington. That's M R J A Y. You should know how to spell Washington. Patreon.com slash Mr. J Washington and YouTube.com slash J A Y Washington 80. Excellent. You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Bateman Media. Also, I have a brand new show over on Collider, the podcast network called The Action Guys, also with Drew. It's the <laughs> companion piece to this show. We don't just talk about action movies, we don't just talk about one movie a week. We talk about all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, coming out tomorrow, I think we have an episode which is who will be the last 80s action star standing when all is said and done. We, we go down a checklist of all these guys. Ooh. We compare them. Uh, I won't, I won't uh, spoil who wins, but uh, you guys will like it. It's a good episode. It's funny. Uh, we, we, get, we get a lot of good ones in there, so we talk about them all. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you for listening. We'll be back same time, same place next week with Pulp Fiction. See you, everybody. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.